0: For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia.
1: Well, welcome to today's show. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And of course, I'm always so glad when you join in with me. And today I have a very special guest, which I'm really excited about. This is Dr. Dave Gudgel. And I met him when he was here in Phoenix, Arizona as a lead pastor, a senior pastor for Bethany Bible Church. And so I'm so excited to have him on the air today. He is now out in the beautiful part of our nation, Sunnyvale, California, and is a lead pastor at a church out there in Los Altos called Bridges Community Church. And he has written two books that I'm really excited about. And we're going to do one this week. And then next week, we're going to do the second book. And this first book is called Before You Live Together. And it, when he first wrote it in 2003, it was really some cutting-edge information about the statistics that we now understand about living together that, that defies whether or not you are a faith-based couple or not. And so it was very interesting to me when, I, when he first gave me this book So we're going to talk about that one today. And then the second one we're going to do, I want you to really mark your calendar to um, join us next week when we talk about um, Before You Leave. And that's really helping adult children launch well into their adult adult life. So, Dave, thank you for being on the show. Please say hi to the listeners. And maybe you can give us a little bit idea, um, a little bit deeper understanding of who you are and what you do.
2: Thanks, Cynthia. It's really good to be with you, Uh, and I'm a pastor. I've actually uh, been pastoring for more than 30 years now, uh, and teaching pastor kind of roles, and uh, it's been amazing. But uh, yeah, we were in Phoenix for seven years, and now we're in Sunnyvale, California. We've been here for 40 years, and in addition to pastoring, I write along with my wife. I could not do it without her (laughs) <laughs> second book we'll talk about, she wrote with me, but what's not known is she was behind all of these books, so really grateful for the opportunity to help people in a variety of ways.
1: Well, wonderful. Now, you are—you have a doctorate. Is this an, uh, an, um, an MDiv? Is that what it is, or are you an educational doctorate? Is that because you're a great writer? <laughs>
2: Thank you. Well, this is actually a doctorate of ministry, so it was a degree that I earned focused on preaching, teaching. Got so. it. That was a great experience for me.
1: Well, tell me here about this book because I kind of gave a little little precursor of what it is. But why don't you give the listeners just an idea, an overall idea of what this book is about? This the one that says "Before We Live Together," because before you live together. Because I love the title; it's very provocative. Mm.
2: Well, it's been interesting to see uh, how things have changed since the book was written. What? Prompted the book was I was, as a pastor, seeing more couples coming in for premarital counseling that were already living together before marriage. And of course, at that time, it was something like two to three out of five, those that claimed uh, to be born again Christians. And now it's more like, you know, three to four out of five. uh, And the statistics nationally are somewhere around 80% of couples are going to live together before marriage. So in seeing that in my counseling practice as a pastor, there was not a source out there that I could give to them that would help them just consider the subject. And so I ended up writing that book, and it was a fun experience, and it's opened up a lot of doors since.
1: Wow. How long did it take you to write this book?
2: Well, I, I'm laughing because he, I wrote it first and uh, submitted it to several publishers, and they said no, but one of them, Regal Books, which publishes Gospel Light and that whole division in Ventura, California, they agreed. They said, we would like to publish it if you would rewrite it.
1: Got <laughs> and it. This, this was <laughs>
2: one of my first experiences. It was actually the second book that I'd written, but it was the first time I'd had a publisher say, if you'll rewrite it. And so... Uh, the essence of it was write it so that if you're picking up a remote control to watch TV uh, and you had to choose, you would read the book instead. So
1: I <laughs> oh, tried to goodness. find a way to do
2: that. It took about another year to write it after that.
1: Is it is that when you came up with this title?
2: Uh, they helped me with the title. I had some other titles, uh, but, you know, publishers are good with titles. Yes, yes. That got me started on the before titles because now I have three books. Oh my! Have this in it. Uh, so you've got this one before you live together, before you get engaged, and then also before you leave home, which is that's the subtitle. It's called "Just One More Thing."
1: Got it. Well, good. Well, tell me, you know, because this was first. This was 2003, I believe, and this really was the first book, at least that I really know of, that really addressed this issue.
2: Yeah, and what I did is I, I started the book with just statistics, and so the first four chapters, if you give it to somebody and you just say, why don't you just you know, think about it from a statistical perspective, the statistics are not good in terms of giving you, uh, well, I think I'll go, get, I'll go live together. The odds for uh, having a good marriage are less if you live together before marriage. So just a simple statistic on this. Of eight couples that live together before marriage, only four of those eight couples will ultimately get married, and of the four that marry, three of them will divorce.
1: My goodness. So
2: one out of eight couples end up making it, and just statistically then they bring into the marriage how they started the marriage unless something significant changes.
1: Right. I mean, I think it's amazing because... You know, when you look at living together before you're married, you know, there's that my, one of my famous proverbs is, For as a man, uh, is um, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. Mm-hmm. And um, when you think about this whole concept, it seems so logical to us that, wow, if you live together, you really get to see, you get to experience it, you get to understand whether or not you can actually make it. And so God's ways obviously are very different than our ways. And, and so it's interesting that the statistics are proving God's logic, which is very different than our logic.
2: I think it's a train wreck wait, waiting to happen, and, and in our eyes, it seems like the right thing to do, just like that Constacordia cruise ship uh, when the captain, you know, decided to sail it into an area that he should not have taken it into, and you know, how many years did it sit over there and they finally raised the cruise ship here In within the last few months. It cost millions of dollars. 32 people lost their lives, where at that moment it just seemed like the right thing to do. Right. And it's the same with regard to living together before marriage. I mean, you know, a lot of people that do this do so because They don't want to end up with a divorce. They've come through a divorce situation in their family, or they've seen their friends get a divorce, and so it just seems like a tryout is the best way to go.
1: And so, now, I know as a a psychotherapist, many of the the dynamics behind why living together doesn't work, but maybe you could speak about pastorally, um, theologically, what God's logic would be when it comes to saying, do not live together before you are married.
2: Well, you know, I, I think that it's the law of sowing and reaping ultimately. Um, I, now I use a lot Hosea chapter 10 verse 12, where it says, uh, sow righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love. And I believe that's what all of us want. We want unfailing love. And and the verse goes on to say, And break up your unplowed ground, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. So, you know, the big word here is righteousness. And you just quoted Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know, what seems right isn't necessarily right, but there is a right way of doing things. And that's what Hosea ten twelve is focused on. It's so, uh, sowing righteousness. So... What's righteousness? Well, the simple definition is it's just doing right, but uh, I like this definition. Righteousness is knowing what's right and doing what's right no matter what. And, you know, so that basically says there is a right way. It's God's way. And if we sow righteousness, the ultimate fruit of that is unfailing love. So I think a person has to decide whether or not they're going to do it God's way or their way.
1: I, that's uh, that's amazing. Because, I you know, what I like to talk to couples about is I say to them, you know, many times this is a trust issue, that you're trusting God's ways, that they don't seem, they're not your ways, his thoughts aren't your thoughts, you know, that's Isaiah 55. Mm-hmm. But what we're saying to people is if you can't trust him, then, you know, you can trust statistics. And these are what the statistics are showing, and these are not statistics that are just um, manufactured by a faith-based organization so that they can prove to you somehow and manipulate you into not wanting to live together. These are just statistical averages that are all the way across the board. And so I think it might be helpful if you gave us some idea about how you did this, these statistics, how you gathered them, and, and what, was the, what was the way that you went about producing this information.
2: Yeah, well, we, you know, did a lot of research, and so the book is well-documented, especially those first four chapters with statistical uh, work that's been done by universities. For instance, here's one that came out of UCLA, and there's, they said this in summary. They said it was found that cohabitators experienced significantly more difficulty in their marriages with adultery, alcohol, drugs, and independence than couples who had not cohabitated. They wow. went on to say, apparently, this makes marriage preceded by cohabitation more prone to problems, often associated with other deviant lifestyles. This is UCLA. Oh my goodness! For example, use of drugs and alcohol, more permissive sexual relationships, and abhorrence of dependence than marriage is not preceded by cohabitation. So the book has several, um, you know, quotes like, like this that basically say. You know, statistically, it's not to your advantage to live together before marriage.
1: Well, I think that what's so interesting from a psychological standpoint is that people want to take the way that is the least amount of risk. And they don't understand that they are risking far more by doing this than than getting the help and the support they need to actually take the risk of, of that major commitment of marriage that when they set this up for themselves as a way to say, well, we'll just try it out a little bit before we, before we really commit what they're infusing into that relationship is instability. They're already putting in a lack of trust that I don't really believe that this is going to maybe work with this person. And, and that follows them all the way through their relationship.
2: Yeah. I mean, once you start that way, it's pretty hard to, to change uh, and move a different direction. And I think that part of it is, is if they do it and it, Seems to sort of say, well, there's really nothing wrong with this, you know, because they might not see the immediate consequences of living together without a, you know, permanent lifelong commitment. But again, uh, we go back to sowing righteousness, you know, the law of the harvest. Uh, from God's perspective is something that works out in a different season.
1: Let me, me, sorry, Dave, we have the music coming in. So listeners, join us in the next segment, and we're going to talk more with Dr. Dave Gudgel on living before you live together. Thank you for joining me again. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are here today with Dr. Dave Gudgel. And I want to remind you before we do that, that you can visit me on my um, website, which is CynthiaHyatt.com. C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T. And you can also like me on Facebook, which is Cynthia Hyatt Inc. That's I-N-C for incorporated. And Dr. Dave Gudgel, all the way from Sunnyvale, California, is with us today talking about uh, his book, before you live together. And, and Dave, I apologize again. I was listening so in, in, intently to what you were saying. I wasn't listening to the music coming in, and so I kind of had to cut you off. And so give our listeners a little bit more where you were at when we were ending that last segment.
2: Yeah, uh, Cynthia, it's just this whole notion of what is actually being produced in the relationship right now. And, uh, you know, if, if you're in a relationship where you're cohabitating, it may look like everything's just fine. Uh, But if you look at this from God's perspective, what you're sowing now is ultimately going to reap a harvest of some kind. And if you want that harvest to be unfailing love, you want it to be a love that comes from God, uh, which is way beyond your own, it's important to sow righteousness now. And that's ultimately, you're going to experience the blessing of God in, in his righteousness. So let me just simply say it this way. The law of the harvest says you sow in this season, you reap in a different season. So you may not be seeing yet what it is uh, that will come from the, the sowing, the fruit of what you're, you're sowing. It's not the law of Pinocchio. That's the simple way to remember this. <laughs> the law of Pinocchio says it shows up on your face right now. Tell a lie. It's going to show up right now. It may not show up right now, the consequences of the choices that you're making, and yet they will someday.
1: Well, I think it, it's kind of the same thing as building your house on the sand versus the solid rock. And it's shifting. And, and when, you know, I, I say to couples frequently, every relationship is a gamble. Every, every relationship is a risk. You know, God risks on us. And I would say that I myself am probably not a good risk all the time. But I'm thankful that he gambles, that he risks with me. And so when we are going into a relationship that we are asking for this level of involvement— when we are actually combining our lives together, where we are being physical with one another and, and having that, that form of, of intimacy with one another. We are um, presenting ourselves in our community as a couple, but yet we are not willing to make that commitment. What we are doing is we are, we are increasing the risk that we are um, engaging in because we are, we are infusing into that system, that, that relationship, that whole entire, what, what we are building together, um, we are building on a very unstable ground. And we are not believing in one another. We're, we're the biggest thing that humans want. We want there to be commitment. We want attachment. We want to have security, to know that at our weakest moment, at our worst moment, that we're not going to be abandoned. And so when we say that we're going to live with somebody, we're going to try it out. What we're really saying to that person is, I'm really just not sure about you. And, and that, that, that bleeds over into every other area of our relationship.
2: Commitment is such a hard thing these days. Yes, you it just is. You just don't want to make the commitment, you know. And uh, just uh, and now <laughs> T-Mobile's come out with a new contract where it isn't a contract anymore. You don't have to make a commitment with them. I mean, it was on uh, a recent commercial I saw, and you know. That's pretty much where our culture is.
1: Well, and the, the thing that's so difficult is that we are not teaching people um, the power of commitment and what commitment produces. And so when we go into a relationship and we want all the benefits without any of the commitment, we're dishonoring one another. Mm-hmm. And, and well, we don't realize the degree of dishonor that we are doing.
2: And without that commitment to each other or the commitment to God, I mean, obviously the whole point is loving God, loving others more, the horizontal and the vertical relationships. And so it's all based upon commitment. And, of course, love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Exactly. That's my favorite definition of agape love, the love of sacrifice, an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. And, you know, I'm so glad that I got some good counseling like you're giving right now, Cynthia, uh, from the pastor that did our premarital counseling. We sat in front of him, and he said, listen, this is the day on which you're getting married, January 10th, 1976. So if you're trying to figure that out right now, we've been married for 38 years. And he stuck his finger in the air, and he said, this is the date, January 10th, 1976. And then he drew this horrid this, uh, yeah, horizontal line, am <laughs> trying to think, <laughs> horizontal line, and he said, now this is the line of commitment, and he and he put his finger above the line, and he said, sometimes in your relationship, you're going to be on an emotional high, and you're going to be thinking, heaven is e- I easy, mean, uh, marriage is easy, it's like bumping heaven, and he said, other times you're going to be below the line emotionally, and you're going to think, what was I thinking when I got into this relationship? And he said, you know, you've got to come back to this unconditional covenant commitment to each other and to God, because that's where stability and ultimately uh, a strong marriage is built.
1: Well, and I think you're right. I think that's how we have, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that we get the kingdom on earth when we are loving each other the way that God loves us. And God risks with us and God commits to us knowing that we are imperfect, knowing that some days he's enjoying us and other days he may want to kill us. And so it's really understanding that what we're trying to do is bring from heaven down to earth the relationship that God is willing to have with us. And if God is willing to have that with us, even more so than we would ever be able to do, then it's it's dishonoring to others and to him if we are saying, well, thank you, God. I appreciate that commitment, that level of commitment that you will give to me, which is permanent. But I don't know if I'm really willing to give it to this person I'm professing to love.
2: And without that, you're never going to experience the best of what your relationship could be.
1: That's exactly right. Because what many times people think is that the commitment takes freedom away when actually the commitment produces so much freedom in the relationship.
2: Oh, and it it removes fear. Yes. uh, From the relationship. You know, I'm not always wondering, is she going to walk out on me because I'm such an idiot? I mean, come on, who's who's perfect in this relationship? Uh, not me, that's for sure. I'm so grateful that I have a wife who's committed to me for better or worse, richer and poorer and all of the rest.
1: Well, I think that's, that's one of the things that people don't understand is that they are wanting a permanent thing, which is a basic human need, actually. You know, in order for us to be as vulnerable as we are wanting to be, we want that permanency and that, that feeling of security that if I show you my worst, if I go through a hard time, if I take a risk, if I make mistakes, somebody's gonna have my back and they're gonna know who I authentically am, who the real me, and they're not gonna get dissuaded, you know, or, or discouraged by the momentary blunders that I'm having, even if the blunder is a really big one. And so when we're not willing to give that to another, but we are expecting it from them, we are again creating a tremendous imbalance in the relationship.
2: Well, I hated tryouts when I was in school, I'll tell you that, and I have an aversion to tryouts, you know, <laughs> but uh, that's pretty much what uh, living together is. It's a tryout, and it's a test. It's a conditional relationship. It's a if-then kind of relationship, and it's just not a stable way to start the relationship.
1: No, it's not. Well, we're coming up to the end of this um, this hour, and I appreciate so much um, Dave, you being on the show. And we are talking today about Before You Live Together. And this is the author of the book, Dr. Dave Gudgel. And he is, re- I really enjoy this topic as well as the t- statistics, which I can never say that word. But anyways, join me again in this next segment when we finish this. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me with Dr. Dave Gudgel, Before You Live Together. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm so glad that you joined me again. I want to remind you to visit me at my website, which is CynthiaHyatt.com, especially if you are looking for a keynote speaker, as I do that frequently for retreats and events that you may have. Um, I have Dr. Dave Gudgel from Sunnyvale, California, online today, and talking with me about the book that he wrote before you live together. So. Dave give us um, some idea about where people can get the book um, the best way for them to be able to get it if you have a website and then I also want you to talk about uh, where the where the book has gone since you have written it
2: well thanks Cynthia yeah you can get the book at all the normal outlets and uh, you could or go to our website and there you could get a link uh, to Amazon or some other places to buy the book but our, our website is just uh, davidgudgel.com, G-U-D-G-E-L, or davidandbernice.com, uh, either one. And that'll, that'll get you the book or uh, get you, uh, give you some more information about who we are and some of the things we're doing. And if you want to sign up to receive our blogs or Twitter or whatever it is, we'd love to help in whatever way we could.
1: Well, I really do want to encourage listeners bec- to go to your website. I mean, this book, you've got, like, Really heavy hitters that like your book, which I really like your book. And I mean, you have Bruce Wilkinson that gives you, you know, a great um little plug, and you've got Neil Anderson, you've got Kirk Cameron, you know, I mean this is this is this is wonderful. John Trent, which is a great friend, and and um I think it's amazing that, that they are supporting this as much as they are, and I would really like the listeners. You know, to either buy the book, even if you know someone that would really benefit from this, because it's we're really wanting to have relationships that last. We're really wanting to show the world that God's way is really the best way, not a way of of um, bondage or a way to steal from people or a way, but really a way to cause people to be successful.
2: Yes, and I found that the book itself can be a door opener uh, to. Help people talk about this from a different perspective. Uh, many uh, parents have given the book to you know their kids before they leave home, or just what, whatever, just to give them some help and some insight. Uh, friends who are living together or thinking about living together, it can be a great resource in a number of ways.
1: Good. Well, th- now tell us where kind of where the book has has gone since then, and also when we were talking off air about counseling couples that are already living together or people that are contemplating that?
2: Yeah, well, it, the book has been translated. Uh, so it's not only selling here, you know, in America or English-speaking countries, but it's uh, been translated into Spanish, two different kinds of Chinese. Um, I'm in an area now where there are a lot of Asians. And so it's been fascinating to find out more about the Chinese that I knew nothing about that's in this book. So It's been fun uh, that way, too. So it
1: becomes multicultural, then.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it has (laughs) in in some some places. So we're grateful for all of that. But it's opened a lot of conversations for me on the radio, a few television kind of things. But it's more than that, I just think, really helped a lot of people. And we've received some very nice letters, and we're just grateful for that.
1: So tell us about um, counseling couples and where this book takes that.
2: Yeah. Well, as I said, we've started the book from a statistical perspective, but then we turn the corner and we look at it more from an emotional and a spiritual perspective as you think about living together. Is it wise in those areas? And so when I'm meeting with a couple that I basically know nothing about, uh, I'll ask them a couple questions. One, of The first question usually is something along the lines of, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And it's interesting because sometimes the spiritual beliefs in the relationship only come out right before they get married when they go to a pastor and want the church to kind of bless their relationship and their marriage. And so I'll start there just to find out where they are, and if they have any relationship at all with God, then I'll basically ask this question, what place would you like God to have in your relationship? And I think that's really an important question to ask yourself as a listener uh, or to help a person who's thinking about living together or is living together. What place do you want God to have in your relationship? And then for couples that already have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and they really want to follow him, then I'll often follow that question with the third question. It's simply the question, how is living together... uh, appropriate from what it is that you know the bible to teach
1: well, i think and that's that, excellent
2: that question has led to amazing conversations i can think of one conversation right you got about
1: 45 seconds so i just want to let you know that and i because i would love to hear what this case is
2: well maybe we should just pick that up with a say that you know that question is going to get to the heart of what's happening in the heart of a person Uh, as to whether or not what they're doing right now is honoring
1: God. Okay. No, that's good. We'll pick that up in the next segment. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And join us again with Dr. Dave Gudgel as he talks about a best-selling book, Before You Live Together. Thank you for joining me again. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And this is the last part of this show, which I'm sad is ending so quickly because we've got a great topic. It's Before You Live Together. And I have um, the author, Dr. Dave Gudgel, of the book Before You Live Together. And he's got quite quite a ministry around this. And this book is really phenomenal, has some really good write-ups about it. And I love the statistics about it as well. And so... Dave, I have you here, and I really do want you to talk about this whole idea about cohabitation. And I, we left off in the last segment for the listeners that were listening. They probably want to hear the case that we were kind of talking about.
2: Yeah, uh, I was just going to share the story of a couple that I asked these questions uh, as we were getting to know each other. The first question, do you have any spiritual beliefs? The second question, what place would you like God to have in your relationship? And they revealed, and especially her, that she had a relationship with God. And so then just followed it up with the question, so what place from God's perspective does living together have in his plan? And uh, she started crying when I asked that question. You can just imagine. Yes, I can. Yes. You know, Uh, and uh, he, they didn't know me from Adam is looking at me like, what kind of counseling is this anyway? You know? <laughs> exactly.
1: You're ruining, you're ruining the show here. I've got going.
2: That's for sure. And so, I mean, what it was, obviously, was a release of guilt. It was this emotion that was inside, because within all of us, God has placed a conscience, a sense of right and wrong, and we have to suppress that, push it down, ignore it, Uh, To continue to live in sin, we would call this, we don't call it living in sin anymore. But hey, listen, when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well and said, you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. He was pointing out her sin. She was living with somebody and it wasn't God's desire. So yeah, I... I think that we've got to come to the place where we basically either are going to do it our way or God's way. And it really comes back to the commitment that we have with God, and the place we want him to have in our life.
1: Well, and I think, you know, when I'm working with couples, a lot of times what I am helping them to understand is this issue of value. And this really rings true for women, because we know that, you know, a man's greatest need is respect and success. I mean, there's a couple more, but those are the majors. And for a woman, it's, the, it's to be desired and to have security. And so what I'm frequently talking to women about is part of, of you saying no to living with a man is you valuing yourself and saying, I'm a value, and you're not going to take the shortcut if you want to be with me, if you want me to be in your, in your life and, and to belong to you. that you, you, I'm not going to allow you to take the shortcut with me. I'm worth the wait. I'm worth working for. And you know, we see the story, the famous story about you know, Rachel and Leah and how hard he worked for Rachel.
2: Yeah, and at that time, they were building a a love relationship that was going to last, and it happened through, first of all, the love of sacrifice, but also there was this love of emotional connection that was there. It's interesting because Leah ultimately says something about the lack of attachment, the lack of emotional attachment, uh, that was in her relationship, and she just was looking for that, and so oftentimes we ignore that attachment factor, right? Um, it, the emotional attachment factor. What you just said made me think, Cynthia, about the statistic that basically says that the number one reason women get a, in America get a divorce is a lack of emotional intimacy in the relationship. That's right. Let me just share one story. I was doing a radio interview like this. It was a call-in show, an hour and 50-minute long call-in show, Dr. Bob out of Colorado Springs. And uh, the third call that came in came from a woman named Michelle, and she said, let me tell you about me. I lived together with uh, a man for two years, but then we got married, and now uh, we're in intimacy therapy counseling. And she said, oh, and by the way, uh, after we got married, we became Christians. But now we're in intimacy therapy counseling. And I said, tell me what you mean by that. And she said, we're, we're in counseling because we don't have emotional intimacy in our relationship. So in other words, they lived together two years, they got married, they became Christians, it's been a couple of years, and they don't have emotional intimacy in their relationship, which is absolutely huge for a couple uh in their relationship if they hope to experience the best.
1: Only if they are to have any longevity. Many times that I tell couples, when it comes to living together or premarital sex, as I say to them, you know, it's like building the roof of a house without a house. Mm. There's uh, There offers no protection. It's like sitting on top of a roof. You know, the the roof is the last thing that you build. You know, that, that kind of sexual intimacy and the combining of your lives and actually living together is the last thing you do. It's not the first thing you do.
2: I really like that, Cynthia. I have taught the same basic idea, but now I've got a better image. <laughs> you I've
1: have an analogy, exactly, a metaphor.
2: <laughs> I love it. I, I actually share this in the book, but I, I've taught it from the perspective of a triangle, and it has three layers, and the bottom layer being the spiritual foundation, and the middle layer being the emotional, and the top layer being the physical and, of course, what happens now is we flip the triangle over so that it's on this pointed edge, yes. and that's the foundation, physical, and it's a very weak foundation on which to build the relationship.
1: Well, and what, what couples don't understand is that intensity does not mean intimacy. So when you're having a physical relationship with someone, you know, within the first month or two, there's an incredible amount of intensity. And, and one of the things that I say to couples, which I'm chagrined that I have to say this, is I, I'll be very frank with them and I'll say, you know, let me talk to you at least about premarital sex. And I say, you know, McDonald's has a has a 90-day probationary period before they give benefits, and that's a minimum wage job. So, you know, benefits, can you at least wait 90 days? Because at 90 days, you start to really know who the person is. Now, I am not ever encouraging premarital sex. It just does not work But I I try to give them this perspective of, do you understand what you're doing, that McDonald's, before they give any benefits at all, they at least wait 90 days.
2: That is really good. And that goes back then to this example that I just gave, where they basically had a physical relationship. Right. But it was, you know, not strong enough to build a great relationship. So. There it is and, and and I know that if you have a desire to be in a relationship it's probably an indication you don't have the gift of celibacy the gift of singleness
1: Exactly
2: nobody wants <laughs> but whatever you know but the point is is that if you don't have that gift you're going to have sexual desires you're right. going to want to get it on physically but you just got to hold off on those so that you can build the spiritual and build the emotional
1: well, because, you know, this is what people don't understand is that the physical intimacy piece and, and the, the weight of, of that level of commitment is, is very heavy. And if you don't have the foundation to hold it, you're creating a sinkhole. And then it's so disturbing and, and disparaging and, dis, and, and disappointing to couples when they went into it with this amazing connection and chemistry and they didn't manage it so that then they walk away with a disaster and it didn't have to be that way.
2: Yeah, and, and the disaster hits them emotionally. Yes. And it hits them spiritually, you know, and yes. it's like, what was I thinking? But, yeah, I. so I will often, you know, I I like the house that you just described. I'll often draw the triangle. Maybe I'll start drawing the house. Absolutely. The <laughs> yes. You've got to understand this. This is basic.
1: Yeah, it's like those people that, you know, you see them in the, the hurricanes. They're sitting on top of their house, mm-hmm. you know, and all you see is the roof.
0: Yes. You know, and then
1: there's water underneath. I'm like, that. that's the picture I give you. This is what you're doing when you have sex the third date. Yeah. That's exactly what you're doing. Well, we're sort of getting close to the end. So what are some takeaways that you want people to hear?
2: Well, what I want them to hear is God's way is still better than our way. And yes. it's where we started the conversation. There is a way which seems right. And in the eyes of the world, you are odd if you don't live together before marriage now. Uh, the, the right way is still the right way. And even if you're odd, that's okay. Follow God's plan. And in sowing righteousness, the, uh, the upshot of that is reaping the fruit of unfailing love. And that's what you want. You want unfailing love. love yes.
1: That's amazing. Well, I do think it's interesting that, you know, we have all this statistics and we have so many failed relationships And people still want to buy into the fact that this is maybe a safer way to go. And it is a far more unstable way to go. So tell the listeners again uh, where we can get hold of you.
2: Yes, uh, if I can help in any way, you could reach me through our website, davidgudgel.com or davidandbernice.com. And we would love to help in any way we could. And there you can find some of the sources and uh, some free materials as well. Uh, but we're just available and would love to uh, do what we can to be a help.
1: Well, tell tell me a little bit as as we're getting sort of to the end here. Tell me a little bit about how God laid this on your heart, because I was very interested in that.
2: Well, I I don't know how these things all all happen, but you know, I think you find yourself in a situation where you don't have resources that you need, and that's what I found as more and more couples are living together before marriage. And so just a willingness to go down the path and say, okay, Lord, I will put something together from all of my learnings and from research and talking to others, and he just brought those people across my path that I needed, uh, opened the door with the publisher, and it's one thing after another. So it's been now several years that we've been focused on this, talking at singles conferences, uh, doing all kinds of things that just help couples do the right thing and the best thing for the relationship.
1: Well, I do think it would be very helpful for many of the churches to have those types of conferences. You know, I was in Africa um, my second time just last September, and one of the things that the pastor of this, this is the largest church in, in Uganda, want, wanted me to come back this coming year and speak on was doing a singles retreat because they so much need help on understanding what it means to be a single Christian because what, they, what that culture has been taught is that you immediately sleep with a person as soon as, as soon as you hook up, that's what you do. And not understanding how that destabilizes the relationship so greatly and how it devalues both men but really creates so much insecurity for women. And so here we are, this is a third-world country, and our country is now facing some of that same philosophy of how to do relationships.
2: Marriage is more and more abandoned uh, even before it's given a chance. All I know is we've tried to do it the Lord's way, and we've reaped the fruit of that. We're so grateful for the relationship we have. Uh, I'm more in love with my wife now than ever, and we've been married 38 years now. So you know, I, I still believe with all my heart, God's way is the best way. You just have to decide whether or not, as you've already said, Cynthia, we trust that or we're going to lean on our own understanding. Right. All your ways, you know, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight.
1: I think that's a really, really good insight because it really does come down to trust. And what I, I tell listeners, I tell clients, you know, for me, God gave me this great saying, you know, I either trust him or I don't. I can't do the gray area that causes too much anxiety and, and, and instability. So he either is who he says he is, and he says his ways are right. They're just. They're good for me. They are not to steal from me. They're to give me abundance. They're, they're for hope, for future. They're not for evil. So I either trust that and realize that I'm trusting in a being that is not human, even though he came in human form, which is wonderful. But he defies all of our humanity and that that his ways are really good for me and if I trust them even when the world is telling me different even when my flesh is telling me different that he really does have that abundance for me and and it's it's takes effort and community and I really want to suggest for the listeners that you don't try to do this alone that one of the things that that Dr. Gudgel is talking about is he counsels people on on this whole process. Because if you try to figure this out on your own, you're going to end up doing many things, much of what the world is doing, wouldn't you say?
2: Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, one of the words for me that's been very important lately. Okay, is,
1: we have less than thirty seconds, Dave. I'm sorry about that. Is
2: just don't lean on your own understanding. Yes. You may not understand it, but trust God; He does.
1: Well, thank you, Dave, so much. And listeners, I want to encourage you to pick up this book before before you live together. Join me next week. We are going to have Dr. Gudgel on again, and he, we talk about before you leave. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me on my uh, website. We hope
0: this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you.